Informed Dissent, brought to you by Firearm Training Associates. Firearms Training Associates is, is a lucky company because we have been able to draft in some of the best instructors in the world. We have special operations guys, we have guys from the U.S. military, from foreign militaries that work for us. They provide a great deal of insight into self-defense. So we developed this so that our customers could come on the weekends and get the best training in the world. We pride ourselves on our civilian training. It's our armed civilian that's one of the most important things to us. We want to teach them how to survive dangerous situations. When you come through the course, as long as you're performing at a acceptable level, you're going to get a certificate that puts our stamp on it. And we take it serious when we put our stamp on there. When you get our gold label, that means that you've passed the class that you've attended. Firearm Training Associates, proud sponsor of Informed Dissent. Find out more at ftatv.com. Informed Dissent. The intersection of healthcare and politics with Dr. Jeff Barkey and Dr. Mark McDonald. Well, Mark, great to be with you on another episode of Informed Dissent. How are you doing? Hi, Jeff. Drowning in the rain. <laughs> Indeed. You know, before we get started, I just want to give a shout out to uh, our sponsor, and that's Firearms Training Associates. And uh, I understand you were just out there uh, uh, participating in another uh, training event that they host. I was. I did an entire day of a very unusual and interesting series of tactical defensive shotgun techniques, as well as pistol, specifically for home invasions. This group is very, very uh, supportive of families defending themselves because we don't have a police force that is available to respond when we need them anymore for various reasons, including lots of budget cuts. And um, having that ability to feel that you can protect yourself and your family when you don't have uh, local law enforcement uh, at the ready is a really important um, ability. And, and I support everyone's um, right to pursue that and interest in doing it. And that's what I decided to do. And I had a really great time with great instruction and I'm looking forward to doing it again soon. Uh, do you own a shotgun? I actually purchased a second shotgun recently a Mossberg 940 semi-automatic that is uh, very reliable and can be used for self-defense situations. So now I have uh, a sporting shotgun uh, for skeet shooting, and I also have a home defense shotgun. Wonderful. Good for you. I, um, you know, note, note to self, don't break into Mark's, uh, Mark's home. So, Mark, we had a guest on uh, recently on Informed Dissent, and and he had a line that I even I wrote down because it really resonated with me. And talking about COVID and what's been going on the last few years and so forth, and his line was that the trauma from discovering the truth was what he said, and the trauma from discovering the truth isn't unique to COVID. It's can be in relationships and so forth, but for some people, it can be quite overwhelming and even paralyzing. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that, because I know you've experienced this in your neighborhood living in Los Angeles, where you still have people walking around in masks, uh, despite the fact that they no longer need to do that or are forced to do that. Uh, but this this trauma for many people has almost created a post-traumatic stress-like syndrome uh, as a result of COVID and, more importantly, the action by our government uh, as a result of COVID. What I think it's done on a societal level is that it's provoked a massive loss of confidence in our institutions. I think that's the national trauma. On the individual level, it's the loss of 
the ability to trust people that you perhaps grew up with, your neighbors, uh, your wife's friends, your husband's golf buddies, the children uh, that have grown up in your neighborhood and are, are now uh, coming over for lunch with their family members when they come home for holidays. These are the people that you felt that you knew. And as Jordan Peterson said famously in the last couple of months when he was working with Dennis Prager down in San Diego for Dennis's Bible commentary, and Dennis asked him, do you really know someone who hasn't been tested? His answer was no, you haven't. And I think that a lot of people have woken up to, as you said, the, the trauma of discovering the truth that they really didn't know their institutions and the people around them until they were tested. And many people and many institutions have failed that test. Certainly medicine has failed, media has failed, pharmaceutical companies have failed, our schools have failed, a lot of our neighbors have failed, our bosses, some of our friends actually have failed. That's a pretty big trauma. That's a pretty big truth. It's a lot of dose of reality to have to swallow all at once. And that is essentially what trauma is. Trauma is, as one of my supervising analysts said years ago, too much reality. And when you get too much reality all at once, you end up feeling traumatized. And I think that's what a lot of individuals are suffering from. And I think that's what our nation is suffering from today. So it's really been a, a, a national waking up to this truth. And some people handle it better than others. Well, that's an interesting point, Jeff. Why is it that certain people handle it better than others? Why are some people traumatized and others just uh, brushing off the, de the dust and the, and the abrasions on their arms and moving so, forward? You know, it's a good question. It's like looking at the military. There are people that are deployed into war zones that kill and come home and are fine. And there are others that are deployed and kill and come home and are devastated with post-traumatic stress and sometimes never recover. So I don't know what the difference is between those two folks. I think part of it is their preparation, how they grew up, uh, how their parents may have uh, coddled them as opposed to allowed them to be exposed to the reality of life that can often be brutal. Um, I think it has a lot to do with their preparation. So I still see people as you do I mean, almost every day now, and it's, I, I, you know, it used to be kind of funny and a joke, and now it's just very, very sad to me when I see somebody literally driving by themselves with a mask on, and we still see that. Um, or the other day, you know, I, my, my office has a really nice window that overlooks Pacific Coast Highway. And the other day it was raining, and I was looking out the window, just enjoying the view, and there was a person walking down the sidewalk, raining by themselves, with a mask on. I saw that too, Jeff. I saw groups of people running outside of Trader Joe's in the rain in an atmospheric river with masks on just, just last week. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like people slow down on the freeway when there's a traffic accident to, to look, to pencil neck, to stick their head and turn and just wonder in amazement. And I find myself doing that now as I see somebody doing something that makes no scientific or societal sense, yet there they are doing that. And I just look at them and I wonder what their story is and why they're doing that. And what truth have they woken up to or not woken up to? And what is it that has traumatized them that they continue to wear that symbol of compliance or, or it's like a it's a pacifier now, I guess. I have had the exact same experience. And I'm, as you know, I live in Los Angeles and I see this actually every single day. 
I see it with people wearing medical garb. Obviously, they work in some medical clinic. I don't know if they're a physician, a nurse, or a tech sitting outside in the atrium in my building by themselves uh, while texting friends or family on their phone on their lunch break, and they're wearing a mask. I see them at the gym. I was just at the gym today. I saw a, a woman come in with a track suit on, a matching beach towel, gloves, a cap, and a bottle of spray. I assume some kind of sanitizer. She sprayed down every bench she sat on, put the towel on top of it, then put her track suited body and her gloves on top of it. And then and essentially just stayed looking around the room with this, this, all you could see was her eyes, obviously, this look of fear and disconnection from society. I would say she looked sort of like somebody that would wander around in the psychiatric unit when I was a resident. And four or five, six years ago, we probably would have looked at her and thought she needs help. We would have called the police, social services, but now people just consider this to be normal. It's been normalized. So I don't think in urban areas in this country, especially urban areas, that this is diminishing. This is this is going away. I see it as an ensconced habit and addiction, as I, I like to call it in my, my book, uh, Freedom from Fear. Whether you want to call it an addiction or a trauma or a habit, it, it, it doesn't really matter to me, but it's certainly not healthy. It certainly is not evolving away. It is stuck. And the fact that we are not doing anything about it, that we're just allowing it to, to continue really disturbs me. It's almost like a, if you could imagine going to a park and you see some children running around on their own, their parents are not nearby, and someone comes up, an adult, and starts to beat the children. And all the adults whose children are not them look around and they say, oh, well, that's, that's just the way we are right now. We just allow this to happen um, because it's been normalized. That's very disturbing. And I think for a society to have normalized such an obvious expression of mental illness and, and, and self-destruction really doesn't speak well about our, our, our urban societies in the United States. And I find that to some degree, actually, Jeff, even more disturbing than the example of the illness itself by the person who's wearing the mask. So the, this trauma of discovering the truth and some people um, imparts action on their behalf. Uh, they're traumatized, they learn the truth, and they do something different because they've woken up to something that they didn't know before. And in this case, it's the corruption of our government. It's the lack of trust of some of our agencies, the CDC, the FDA, the National Institutes of Health. And in many cases, it's discovering that a trusted person in your life, a physician, for example, can no longer be trusted because of the way they behaved during the pandemic. And so they make a change. They look for a like-minded physician. They no longer look to the government to uh, get advice or to, or to seek help. But others have the opposite effect and they double down. Why, why is it that some people are moved to action and other, in effect, are paralyzed by that trauma? I think part of it is character and it's something that's unexplainable. Uh, part of it is, as you said earlier, preparation, meaning what was your experience growing up? Were you exposed to reality? Were you exposed to animals that would bite you and trees that would allow you to fall from them and hit your head, uh, food that was rotten and would make you sick to your stomach, uh, bullies who would rob you of your lunch money because not everybody's nice at school? Did you have those exposures or did your parents protect you from trees 
and wild animals and bullies. And so you grew up in this environment that taught you that the world is, is, is essentially good and there's nothing dangerous about it except for the things that our government protects us from. And they're going to do a really good job of that. I'm, I'm obviously creating a kind of dichotomy here that's sort of black and white, but it's, it's for purposes of example. But I, I do think that there are people who fall in largely into one or two of those categories. And I think that's why you have these two different groups of people that have emerged after this exposure. I also think that not just preparation, not just character, uh, but also a choice that people make, and maybe this comes from character and personality, I, I don't know, but I think you can certainly make this choice whether you have the, the predisposition for it or not in your character. The choice that people make to remain curious about life. I, I sense that all the people that we have seen in the atmospheric river who are running around with masks on, like you saw, and I have, and people who are still going and getting their kids shot up with these mRNA injections, like a patient that I'm going to see next week. He's eight years old. His father just got him another booster shot. I know because I got the facts from CVS that lists me as a healthcare provider showing his second booster for an eight-year-old child. These people universally, in my experience, do not have any sense of curiosity about the world. And I really do believe that people who have been exposed to what could be considered a traumatic event, and maybe they were traumatized, maybe they were damaged in some way, if they have an inherent um, penchant towards curiosity, kind of like a plant wants to lead towards the light, they just, they just move towards sunlight. If they have that, I think that they have a, a good shot of overcoming the trauma or at least minimizing it and, and, and emerging stronger. But if they don't, if they just kind of go in circles over their past experience and look for comfort and protection rather than something new, rather than a risk, which is what curiosity is, it's the risk of finding out something that's new, then I think they get stuck. And I think that they just stay in this traumatized position and they never move forward. I really do think now that that, that that presence or absence of curiosity is a really good indicator of whether someone uh, who's been exposed to the trauma will continue to be exposed or not. So these folks that were traumatized by the truth that have not made a change and continue down this path of compliance and tyranny, how do you help them, Mark? Well, I don't think that they can be helped if they do not express some form of curiosity on their own if they're not motivated i think i think you really need to consider them in the same way that you consider drug addicts which is that until the drug addict has accepted that he's an addict and expresses some sincere motivation to become abstinent or at least minimize his use there is absolutely nothing that you can do as a friend, as a family member, or as a physician. There is nothing. And I really do believe that these people are in the same position. Interesting. You know, I've got a, I've got a patient right now and um, severe anemia, uh, wounds on her scalp, hair loss. And I was very, very concerned. And I ultimately ran a, a urine tox screen. It came back positive for methamphetamines. And this person denied that um, she was using methamphetamines. Um, and I actually called the laboratory just to inquire and was told 
that uh, there, there isn't anything that she could be taking that would mimic this. The occasional Adderall that she used would come up positive for amphetamines, but not methamphetamines. Long story short, as a result of her denial, quite convincing denial, we ran another urine screen, but this time we sent it to a different lab, this time Quest. And the urine came back equally positive and strong for methamphetamines. And, and once again, I had a conversation with her and her family, her parents, because she's relatively young, uh, that I was worried that she would die uh, because meth is sometimes mixed with fentanyl. And I was very, very worried that if she didn't raise her hand and there wasn't some sort of family intervention, uh, that she would no longer be with us much longer because of the risk she was putting herself in. Um, to this day, she continues to, not, to deny use. And it makes me very sad, but you, you bring up, you know, the, the trauma from discovering the truth and some continue down this path of wearing a mask, of getting vaccinated, uh, of, of not listening and having no curiosity. And there is nothing that we can do. There's not a damn thing that we can do if they're not going to raise their hand and acknowledge that there's a problem. And just like this patient I have that's a meth addict, clearly, boy, I wanted to believe her. The second test comes back equally positive. There's no other explanation. Um, I, can't, I can't help her to get sober unless she wants to do that. And unfortunately, the consequences are grave, but there's nothing I can do to influence her. Um, she's got to want to do this herself. Jeff, every physician has had this experience, not once, not twice, not 10 times, not even a hundred times, probably a thousand times or more. We all know this as physicians. I am certain that the non-physicians listening to this have had the same experience in their personal life with someone they cared about, whether it was a lover, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a friend, where you saw some habitual self-harm, whether it was drugs or whether it was obesity or whether it was a, a defect in being able to regulate emotions, uh, being selfish or over generous, whatever the problem is. And you bring it to this person's attention. You say, you know, I'm really worried about you. I care about you. And I want this to change because I see that this is harming you and harming the people around you, including me, because we're in this relationship together. And that person does nothing about it. And you bring it up again, once again, does nothing about it. And you bring it up again and again and again. Now you have a choice at that point. After you've brought it up and mentioned it multiple times, you've offered resources, you've explained why it's such a difficult problem and why it's harming you, why it's harming this other person. The choice that you have to make is either to reinforce what's called a codependent behavior, meaning you keep supporting something that's unhealthy, like parents supporting a child's drug habit by saying, well, I'm sure they'll get better. I'll give them more money this time. Or you leave the relationship and you say, I will always be available to you if and when you decide to change. But until then, I'm gone. This is such an important lesson. I, I see it with my patients in therapy. I see it as a physician, obviously. I see it in my personal relationships and I see it with other people I know who have relationships with other people, personal relationships. And it's something that is one of the most difficult things for a human being to accept, which is that you have no power to change someone else. None. All you can do is point out the problem, encourage and support them. And ultimately it is the other person's 
decision whether or not he or she decides to advance towards a path towards health or not. And that that is actually, and this might may sound shocking, but this is actually not only very painful, but it is also incredibly liberating because no longer do you need to hold yourself accountable, responsible for that person's behavior. And that is the moment that the epiphany that many people realize, and I see it in my patients, where they, for the first time in their lives, they actually feel free of the other person's problem, which they always were, but yeah. they never felt it before. Yeah, it's, it's really hard when you have a tendency to want to be a rescuer, as many of us physicians are. And I see this person and I know what the outcome is going to be if she doesn't get help. I've even offered to moderate an intervention with the family, and I hope they'll take me up on it because maybe just maybe that will work to open up this person's eyes to what they're doing. So stay, stay tuned and I'll keep you posted. But, you know, we're seeing this nationally. We need a, a national intervention, if you will, uh, to educate the public and those that are still wearing masks and participating in this tyranny of what the consequences are of this. And uh, hopefully we'll have more of a national awakening as we continue to spread the word of truth. I had an analyst tell me the same one, I think, that I quoted earlier. He was such a fountain of wisdom. And he said something very important. He said, whenever you address a patient, you always need to combine truth with compassion. Because if you go too far to one extreme, too much truth without compassion is cruel. Too much compassion without truth is unhelpful and actually harmful. I think this is a very good balanced position to take as a nation, as individuals, as Americans in our country today. We need to obviously maintain as much compassion as we can for the people who are still lost, who are still self-harming with all the isolation, the masks and the shots. But it does not mean that we should lie to them and tell them that they're okay and that they're doing the right thing. We need to be honest. We need to tell them in a calibrated way and when appropriate, that they are actually on the wrong path, that they are harming themselves and offer to help, but maintain the primacy of truth. Because as soon as we start to lie and pretend that it's okay, then we become like the codependent person in the relationship. And that doesn't help the other and it doesn't help you. That's excellent advice. As a matter of fact, I wrote that down and I'm going to have this conversation with the family about balancing this truth and compassion and uh, maybe just maybe not only will it uh, free me of my self-imposed burden and, and uh, trauma of not being able to enforce my uh, outcome on this, on this family and this person, but hopefully it'll help the family as well. I hope so. Mark, great being with you on another episode of Informed Dissent. Thank you for the therapy session, both for myself and for the nation. And uh, let's do this again real soon. I'll send the bill out tomorrow. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.